0: We are in week number two of our series on the Holy Spirit. And last week, we asked the question of who is the Holy Spirit? And then we're going to continue asking that question today. And then next week, we're going to switch it, not ask who is, who is he? But if I have Jesus, do I really need the Holy Spirit? And we're going to look at some of the more in detail uh, things that he does. But, um, so when we asked that question of who is the Holy Spirit, it led us to Acts chapter two, where we found these disciples sitting in an upper room, Waiting, because Jesus told them, "Go and wait," and the Holy Spirit is going to come, and you're going to know when He comes. And we know that He came in two forms. There was a, a wind that blew, it was a mighty rushing wind that happened within that room, and then the fire fell. And when the fire, the little pieces of fire came upon their heads, and it was a sign for them. Like we probably didn't catch it, but when we look at it, they immediately thought there are two things here that symbolizes our ancestors, and that is the fire and the wind, which took them back to Exodus. When God led them, by day, he led them in a cloud, a pillar, a a big pillar that was more like a tornado that was spinning constantly. That was a reminder that God is here. And then at night, God led them as a pillar of fire. And they pieced these two things together that the presence of God was in this place. But rather than there being one fire, there were multiple fires above the heads of the disciples. And the Bible tells us that immediately they went out And they recognized that they had experienced this thing that Jesus had told them. It was the Holy Spirit. That now, rather than leading them at a distance and coming upon them, the Holy Spirit was now living within them. And their boldness immediately pushed them outside the four walls of their room and into the city streets where there were multitudes of people that spoke multiple languages representing all of the known world at the time. But their boldness through the Holy Spirit's work, they began to speak And in the process of speaking, lives begin to change. And so they caught these things. They knew these things. They they knew that there was something different. I, I love in those same verses of Acts 2, Peter gets this brand new boldness. Remember, he was a little bit of a coward when they said, oh, it was you that were following Jesus. Oh, no, 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 it wasn't me. I don't know the man. I don't know the man. And Peter left. And when Jesus sees Peter again after the resurrection, Peter has gone back to what he always knew. He's fishing. He'd been out all night trying to catch fish. And then Jesus walks up on the shore and calls him. He had a little bit of a coward in, within him, a little bit of a fear that was within him. But now fear has been driven out because the Holy Spirit has pushed it out. He is indwelling within Peter. And Peter begins to preaching. There's no seminary training. He doesn't have any kind of a five-point sermon that's going on here. He just preaches what God's told him to say with boldness, with with clarity. He's preaching and the Bible tells us that in this moment, there were over 3,000 people in that moment that responded to the gospel because of what had happened. It wasn't on Peter's doing because Peter could have never done this without the Holy Spirit. He could only do it with the Holy Spirit, giving him the things and the boldness to be able to carry this out. So we said every country in the known world in that time was in the city of Jerusalem that day and the disciples through that power, the Holy Spirit, we're sharing the gospel in the native tongues of the people, languages that have never spoken before. They're now able to communicate with these people. And the people here, and they take, these, these guys are just Jewish people there. Some of them are Galileans and they're speaking our language. How did they know what it was? And that was all last week, but today I want to shift a little bit more to some practical truths of who the Holy Spirit is. Because I think it's so essential that we, we get this that we understand who He is. He is a part of our lives that I think for a lot of people, especially in in the church with Christians, that we fail to acknowledge the Holy Spirit. We fail to acknowledge what it is He does because He scares us. We talked about it last week. We all have our backgrounds. That we all, when we say the word Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost, it conjures up some type of memory or something that you've learned that maybe you're comforted in or maybe even something that you're scared in. And what we've asked to do is just to for just for a couple of weeks, just take all those things and just push them to the side for a second and let's all revisit the scripture to make sure that the things that we learned along the way about the Holy Spirit are true. Like when, when I'm thinking about this, and I, and I would like to say too, we need to know that you and I will never fully understand the Holy Spirit. We'll understand him, we'll understand bits and pieces, but we'll never fully understand the Holy Spirit. It's like we'll never fully understand God in this lifetime. And that's okay, because people are like, well, how can you serve a God you can't understand? Well, if I could explain God, if I could explain fully the Holy Spirit, is He really as powerful and as big as He says He is? I can't. And so you have this powerful Holy Spirit that we can't explain, but I want to tell you this morning, it is okay for you to question things that you've learned along the way on the Holy Spirit and I'll I'll even take it a step further, it is okay to question the things that even I teach from this floor right here on is this true or not. It's, It's totally fine. I think for far too long, we've been accepting everything that we've been taught. And it's caused for a lot of us a lot of damage that we just assume this is what it is and this is the way it always is, but we haven't allowed the Holy Spirit to speak into the passage for us. One of the highest honors that I get as a pastor is when we sit and gather here on Sunday and we teach and we learn and then you guys spread out into your groups and you begin having conversations and you begin talking about the Holy Spirit. Like this week, I've got so many texts of people saying, hey, it brought up this and there's a bunch of questions that are happening. If you're wondering what that noise is, that is the mighty rushing wind trying to come into the building and fill this place right now. Um, but what, what you find is it's okay to question the things that you've been taught. I mean, I did it. I remember my senior year of college, And I'm sitting in a Bible class. I'm like, this stuff makes no sense to me. This is not anything that maybe I've learned. I don't understand it. And so I gave myself permission to forget everything that was non-essential and push it to the side. Of course, I still believe that Jesus was who he said he was. Yes, I still believe that he was resurrected. But those non-essential things, like what I was taught about the Holy Spirit, what I was taught about whatever was a non-essential belief. I gave myself permission to say, we're gonna relearn that from what Jesus said about it. I'm gonna throw away everything. And I, I felt a little guilty about it because I felt like maybe it, it seemed like maybe I was trashing the people that had taught me these things. But what I understood, but maybe they only taught me for what they knew because they only passed along things that they didn't know. That's how I got my view of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 17 says this Now, these Jews were mo- more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness. Now, listen to this. They received the word, they were eager. But look at the next part of this verse examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Like we love that you're hearing the word and we love that you're preaching this and telling us these things. But we're gonna go home and examine these things. We're gonna read for ourselves. We're gonna pray through the passage because we're gonna see because maybe God wants to speak it in a different way. So don't ever feel guilty for questioning the things that you've learned and even the things that you learned here. Ask questions. Ask questions. Don't just take things at face value. Now, the Holy Spirit is mentioned Over 800 times in scripture. So, how is it that we've, many of us have grown up in church and we haven't really talked about the Holy Spirit? Have we just dodged 800 places that the Holy Spirit is mentioned? Maybe for many of us we have. Because again, I think for me and my story was the Holy Spirit scared me. What happens when this thing lets loose? Like, I don't want to speak in tongues. I don't want fire to pop above my head like these things scare me and when you look that is over 800 times we look back and you have to do what we call in um, in hermeneutics it's called the law of first mentioned so if the scripture has been mentioned the the spirit of God has been mentioned 800 times we want to go back where's the first place that that was mentioned and wouldn't you know it we we don't get any further than Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 We see the Spirit at work right in the middle of creation where it says that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And when He created man, He said, let us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, let us create man in our image, the Trinity. We find the Holy Spirit heavily at work in the very beginning of time in creation. So, To be mentioned over 800 times tells me the Spirit has to be a pretty big deal. That He was coming on people in the Old Testament, and now here in Acts chapter 2, He's filling people. He's coming into people, living, power. And so we get down to this and we look that the Holy Spirit is a big deal. He's just something that you simply cannot ignore. Look at John chapter 14. And it says, I'm going to ask the Father. This is Jesus talking. He said, I'm going to ask the Father. And he's going to give you another, what's that word? Helper. He's going to give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. So even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because neither they neither see him nor do they know him. And it says that you know him because he dwells with you and will be In you. The word helper in the Greek language is this word called perakalitas. Okay? I want to break that down. I'm going to teach you a little bit of Greek this morning. It literally translates into the word intercessor. Intercessor. So God says he's given us this helper. Now we need to really break down and understand what the helper is. So in the Greek language, it's intercessor. But let's break it down even more. So we have a couple of words here. So we have the first word "para." which means alongside of, okay? And then we have uh, kalitos, which is called. So the whole word meaning the one called alongside of you. Get this, he has a purpose. And one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit is that he has a calling to walk beside you and to dwell within you. This is really good news. Because see, The the disciples in John chapter 14, when Jesus is talking to them, he's telling them that he's about to go away for a while. Anxiety's through the roof for these disciples because all they've known for the last few years is Jesus. That's all they knew. They they spent all their time, they gave up their livelihoods to walk and learn and become disciples under him. And here they are standing and Jesus is telling them, I'm going to go away. And it's good that I go away. And now they're, How is that good? You're leaving us. He's like, listen, I'm going to send you a helper. So don't think because I'm not here, I can't be with you. I'm going to send you a helper who's going to help you. He's going to be alongside of you. He's going to be personal for you. And now they have known that Jesus has done crazy things in front of them over these last few years. Sick people have been healed. Deaf people can hear all of a sudden. The dead have been raised. How is any of this going to happen anymore that Jesus is leaving? This is where their panic starts to set in to their situation. And when we look at it, he's looking at them saying, listen, I'm I'm sending you this comforter. I'm sending you this helper. It's going to be okay. Because Jesus never just leaves us in a void. He always provides in some manner, some way, shape, or form. He said, I'm sending you this comfort." He's saying that I'm going to ask the Father to give this to you. It's a gift to you, to be with you, not temporarily. I was here with you temporarily, but I'm going to give you someone that's going to be here for ages to come. He says they're going to be here forever. And when you understand this verse in the Greek language, it carries so much more weight of understanding in this original text that God has gifted us with this helper that not only is called alongside of us, which was Old Testament, but He's called to live within us, which is New Testament. We carry the Spirit of God in every place that we go. People experience the Spirit of God through us. He says in John 14, again, He says, You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. I don't know if you're going through a difficult time, but can I tell you that the Spirit of God is with you. He is walking alongside of you. He is a personal helper who has been called, again, not only to walk with you through life, but to also dwell within you. You are the temple. In John chapter 16, Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Listen to these words. It is to your advantage that I go away. It's to your advantage. Now, we all love an advantage, don't we? I would love to go into the Clemson-Carolina game next week and Clemson spot us 50 points. We would still get beat by 50 points, but just to spot it, like we all want that advantage. What gives us that little bit of an edge, right? And we look at this edge and we look at that he's saying, I'm giving you the advantage that when I go away, because if I do not go away, the helper, this one that has been called to walk alongside of you, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, when I've read this verse growing up, and even in college and even in Bible, it always confused me of why in the world would, would Jesus leave? Why is he saying that it's better that the Spirit come than, than for me to stay here? See, Jesus in human form, so let me say that again because people will label me a heretic if you don't hear this part of it. Jesus in human form could be in one place at a time. The Holy Spirit can be anywhere he wants at any point in time and he can be with you and he's with me. So when you're at work, he's with me at work. When you're on the beach chilling out, he's on the beach chilling out. But he's also with people that are overseas. It's the same Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus said it's far better. It's far better. You don't have to worry about coming just to see where I'm at. I got the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's going to go wherever you go. He's going to be in you. You carry. You are a carrier of the gospel. And he says, it's to your advantage that I go. And we have to grasp that because now when we operate within the Holy Spirit, we now realize we have an advantage over a lot of things that are going on in our lives. We have an advantage over a lot of things that are going on in the world because we see it with a godly perspective, with a spiritual lens, we now see things. And we have the Spirit guiding us, telling us exactly how to navigate the waters ahead of us, all shaping us to become more like Jesus. And so it is our advantage. So we understand that the Holy Spirit is this helper that has come alongside of us, that He's our counselor. Then why is it that sometimes... People live spiritless lives. This is a question, I, I had someone send me a lot of questions um, this past week after we had this conversation, and one of the questions was, why, well, if the Holy Spirit is this, why do people in churches and people that call themselves followers of Jesus, why do they live spiritless lives? I think that's a great question to ask, because I think we would all admit that at some point or another, we were there. Even as a believer of Jesus, I felt like there's been a point that I was there, that I was Love Jesus, but I didn't know His Spirit, and I was so spiritless in the way that I was going through our life. So, my answer, I think, is, is two pieces of this of understanding why does some people live this spiritless life. Number one, I think some people aren't even aware of the Holy Spirit. Some people aren't even aware of it. They may not even know. They they just had this encounter with Jesus, and they said a prayer, and they raised their hand and they got counted and now they're saved. But they don't know what the Holy Spirit is. And that's a gift that you get. It's part of the package plan that we get the Holy Spirit. But some people aren't aware of that. Look at what Paul says, uh, excuse, excuse me, Luke writes in Acts chapter 19. He says, And it happened that while at Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and he came to Ephesus. Then, he found some disciples and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, these disciples were disciples of John the Baptist, the Holy Spirit. They weren't in the upper room in in Acts chapter two. And he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, we were baptized into John's baptism." Here's what, it, here's what that passage is really saying. They knew Jesus, and they were preaching Jesus, and they were telling people about the life change that Jesus was having, because they said under the teachings of John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, he would be killed. So they knew everything. But they didn't know the Holy Spirit. They had not experienced that yet. That had not been taught to them. So Paul asked them, did you not believe in the Holy Spirit? What is that? What is that? And that's why we're in this series. Because I think it's vital for us as a church not to be in a position to go, well, what is the Holy Spirit? Like, some people know what the Holy Spirit is by name. They've heard it. But they don't know what He does. They don't know who He is. When these disciples of John were not at Pentecost, they didn't experience any of this stuff. And they knew about John the Baptist. They knew about Jesus. They just didn't know about the Holy Spirit. It had never been taught to them. And so I think maybe for some of us, There are many people that, and and it's okay, you just don't know anything about the Holy Spirit. But we want to change that. We want to make sure that you do. Um, Maybe there are people that have heard about them, and that's okay. And Maybe you just ask, well, who is this Holy Spirit? Because I don't even know who He is. And maybe you don't even know who Jesus is yet. Maybe it's just a name that you know. But there's a whole other world of power that's available to the believers through God when we understand the Holy Spirit, and we're made aware of who He is and what He does. A lot of people just don't know about it. And I don't want us to be that church that just doesn't know what He is and we don't depend on Him constantly. Like our church depends on the Holy Spirit to lead and God and direct us in the things that God wants for us. And we got to be okay with that. Even when we don't know exactly where this Spirit is leading. It's a weird thing sometimes. So in order for us to be in a position to disciple people, We have to understand both who the Holy Spirit is and why he's important in our daily lives. So have you ever discovered something in your life that was so life-changing? Like when you first saw it, you were like game changer right here. Maybe it was the way that you, uh, maybe it was a cleaning something in your house. Maybe it was something about your car. Like I ran across a game changer the other day that was a life hack. I love, anybody life hack people? You love a good life hack? All right, so I feel alone. So I'm about to change your life. You're about to love it. So I love eating chick, uh, McNuggets or Nuggets. <laughs> oh, God, I apologize for just, for just ruining Chick-fil-A like that. But I love eating a good Chick-fil-A nugget. Anybody with me? Like, can you feel the? Now you feel the Holy Spirit in that all of a sudden, right? Good Polynesian sauce. Y'all don't, know what, y'all don't know about the Polynesian. Y'all too busy on the Chick-fil-A sauce. Who needs Chick-fil-A sauce? You need Polynesian. Just let it, let it rain. And I love it, but you know the the most difficult thing is trying to eat a nugget and drive at the same time. I can't text eat and drive all at the same time, right? I ran across this life hack. Have y'all seen this? Oh my gosh. Do y'all know why that hole was in the top of the nugget box? Because it fits through your straw and it now sits on the cup and you can drive, eat nuggets, drink, and dip all at the same time. I had no clue. I just thought the hole was there for ventilation purposes. But it's there to hold the straw. And maybe it's not really there to hold the straw. But some genius figured out that now it is. And Chick-fil-A has taken credit for it. It's a life-changing life hack. I would tell you to go try it today. But as Kanye said, closed on Sunday. Chick-fil-A not open. But it's a game changer. Like, when you figure that, there's no more swerving all over the road while you're trying to eat. There's no more crying when you drop that one fry, that one nugget in between your seats. And you get it about three months later when you go to clean it out. It's, it changes the whole Chick-fil-A driving experience. And a lot of people know nothing about that. Now you're educated. Now you know. Monday is going to be amazing. But that's the same thing with the Holy Spirit. That hole in that box has always been there. The Holy Spirit has always been here. We just didn't know. We just didn't know. We weren't aware of it. We had it. We had a possession of it. You've all held the the nugget box in your hand. But you just didn't know what you had. And we've all had the Holy Spirit and sometimes we just don't know what it is that we have. So some people live a spiritless life because they're just unaware of His power and His presence. They've never experienced it. The other reason I think there's so many people that are living a spiritless life are many are just unaware. Some people are just simply resisting the Holy Spirit. Some people are just simply resisting it. I believe that there are a lot more people probably in this category than there is the first one. But the Holy Spirit prompts you to do something and you say, uh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I mean, anybody besides me, because I know I've been there. The Holy Spirit would say, go do this. <laughs> that doesn't sound right. Me telling the Holy Spirit that something doesn't sound right. That doesn't look right. I don't like the way that sounds. That'll humble you real quick when you begin telling the Holy Spirit these things. And maybe, maybe you've been in a situation where you're about to do something that, and it wasn't right and the Holy Spirit goes, hey, mm, that ain't right. You need to... There's some conviction. Anybody have that conviction that sets in on certain things? Like, you see that Facebook post come along, across and God, you feel like the words that the Holy Spirit gave you were for you to fight back on what somebody just posted about something and you realize it was just the devil whispering and it wasn't the Holy Spirit wanting to fight back? Like, He says that sometimes when, when we have this Holy Spirit that's resisting and He calls us to do things, He prompts us to do something, maybe to have a conversation or do something good for somebody, and we just resist it. There's a resisting the Holy Spirit, and if we're allowed over time, if we continue with that of constantly the Holy Spirit speaking into us, and then we're denying the Holy Spirit, and we say, "No, I'm not going to do that." Over time, what happens in Scripture is it says we actually grieve the Holy Spirit. We'll shut him out. We'll shut him out. Eventually, he'll just stop asking because he's not going to. He's not. A, a, Spirit that pushes Himself on you. He's a gift to be accepted. And so eventually our hearts will become hardened. Eventually we won't care about, we'll become so desensitized to the spiritual health of people around us. We'll come so, we, church won't be the same. Because it'll just be a place that we gather together just on a Sunday to learn some Scripture and sing some songs and drink some coffee and have some conversations and leave and it doesn't mean anything. We'll become so desensitized when the Holy Spirit's trying to lead us to do things. And there's just times that we just try to hear the prompting and we just push it off. Think about Stephen in Scripture who we can find in the New Testament. He was a young, bold believer who went directly to the Jewish court system, these these religious people, and he goes to them and basically he chews them out. Like, he go, like, that's pretty bold. Like, if you walked up to the judge tomorrow and you just, like, chewed him out, told him what you thought about him, right? Not Holy Spirit leading, by the way, if you choose to do that. But Stephen's boldness goes to the Jewish religious system, the court system, and he begins to give them a good spanking on the behind and saying, listen, what you're doing is not right. He was outnumbered, and it didn't end well for Stephen, by the way, and he was stoned to death, but this is what Stephen said to him. You stiff-necked people, Uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. And then he decides to bring up the family. You know, somebody's always going to bring your mama into it. He said, as your fathers did, and so do you. Here's what he was saying was that you are so set in your way of looking this, the Holy Spirit's been trying to change your heart. He brought Jesus right here to you. He brought the the solution. He brought the creator, the Messiah that you have been waiting on and you crucified and killed him. He sends his Holy Spirit and you see an outpouring of the Spirit happening here in Jerusalem. And what do you do? Do everything you can to stop it. Stiff-necked people. You have dirty hearts. You have dirty ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Because you learned it from your daddy. And you're doing the same thing they did. Again, did not end well for Stephen. Unfortunately for him, those religious leaders had really good arms and could throw a rock really well. But here's what it says it's very possible for us to resist the Holy Spirit so much that our hearts begin to become hardened, that we become stiff necked, unclean people very quickly, that we just go through the routine. We always have to be open to the Holy Spirit, even when it makes no sense at all. Because He's he's not leading us into destruction. He's leading us into His promises. He's leading us into the things that He's called us to and the things that He wants us to be a part of. So we always have to be open. Remember, He's called the, the helper. Not the hinderer, not to hurt you, not to any of those negative connotations. He's called the helper to help you. And sometimes helping doesn't feel good. Sometimes helping means that we've got to be really honest that this is not going to work. But he says that he is called to be the helper and he wants to use you to bring glory to a resurrected Savior. And that's his point. We've got to hear him. And I've, I've shared this story a lot, but, and I've had moments where I felt the Holy Spirit prompt me and I'd say something, and it's always like, for me, I feel like my chest is tight, my face gets really red, my neck gets really red. It, it just looks really bad for me. Like, it's probably when I walk up to somebody, they automatically look up and go, I think I need to call 911. This guy's in anaphylactic shock here. But I remember that this this one moment that really sticks out to me. And I always go back to this because it was the first time that I uh, that I acted on a prompting of the Holy Spirit. I was eating uh, with my family. We were in a restaurant. And this was, Marley was a baby. She's our oldest. And she was probably five or so. And Emery was... It couldn't have been five. I'm not good with numbers. My baby was a baby, and Marley was old enough to use chop- to throw chopsticks and pitch fits in the restaurant. I remember that. We're sitting in this booth, and we're just having a family conversation, and Allison's talking to me, and I'm giving, I'm, I'm looking at her with this glazed-over look, and there's probably thought, he is zoned, he is like he can't repeat. But I was having a moment with the Holy Spirit. that he's, I, I heard him so clearly. It said, get up and go sit at the booth behind you with the lady that's behind you. I was like, that's weird. <laughs> hey, honey, I love you. I'm going to sit with this lady. <laughs> and I remember so clearly that I tried to keep pushing that off, like, mm, no, it's must be the food, like, no. But I kept hearing the Holy Spirit say, you got to trust me on this one. So I looked at my wife, and this is the way I started this conversation. This is going to get weird. You got to trust me. And she looked at me and I got up and I turned and the lady sitting behind me said, hey, can I sit for just one second? I was sitting back here and the Holy Spirit told me I needed to sit here for a second. And she said, yeah. So I sat down and I looked at her and this is when I had no clue. Like that was all the instruction the Spirit had given me at that point. Now it's just creepy. It's like live PD scenario. But I'm sitting there And this is where the scriptures became true when he said that I'll give you the words to speak. The Holy Spirit will give us the words to speak when we need to speak it. He said, you look at that lady and you tell her that I'm gonna give her a peace that will surpass all understanding. And I said, ma'am, I don't know what's going on in your life and I'm not here to recruit you to a church or to over-spiritualize it. But I was sitting back there and I didn't know what I was supposed to say and God told me to tell you that you're gonna have a peace that'll surpass all understanding. And the water works. I mean, she just lost it. And she reached out and grabbed my hand. She said, I lost my husband yesterday. And I don't have anybody to grieve with. I could have easily said, Spirit, you're crazy. No, this isn't... But for just a moment, I didn't know what I was going to say. I wasn't prepared for anything. I didn't have a sermon ready. I didn't have notes ready. I didn't have... But he said, peace that surpasses all understanding. Because how many of you know that his word's true when it says, my word goes out, it will not return void. I just did what I knew to do is quote the scripture to her. And we sat there for like three minutes and I prayed for her and I gave her my email if she needed anything. And I got back and I sat back down with my wife and she's just going, like it was silence. It was just a prompting of the Holy Spirit. And here's what I got from that. I feel like the Spirit does that all the time. And we just miss it. We just miss what He's telling us to do. Because we get so caught up in everything else that there's a world around us that He's speaking into that we want change. And God's trying to use us to be the initiators of change. That's what He wants is for us to hear Him. Let me go through three things very quickly. Because these things came so true in that moment for me. These are three things the Holy Spirit will do for you. The Holy Spirit will comfort you. He comforted her sitting in that booth that day. She went to that place to sit by herself. Not even trying to eat a meal, but just to get silence. And the Holy Spirit met her and comforted her through somebody like me, a donkey. God wanted to speak. He comforts. That's why he's called the comforter. He's gonna comfort you when you're hurting. In John chapter 14, 16, in the King James Version, it says it this way. And I pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. That's good news because when we're hurt and the world's down on us, God says, I'm gonna comfort you. And he can comfort you when the peace that surpasses all understanding, he'll comfort you. Here's the second thing. The Holy Spirit can counsel you. He can counsel you. He's your counselor, he's your God. You need the comfort, he'll give it to you. You need to learn how to walk through life. God wants to counsel and speak into your life, not just when things are going bad. He wants to speak into your life every day, every second he wants to speak. He says this, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. If you're being guided into something that's not truth, it's not God, okay? If you're being guided into fear, that's not God. He says that He will guide you into all truth for He will not speak on His own authority. But the Holy Spirit speaks because whoever, whatever He hears, He will speak and He will declare to you the things that are to come. In other words, the Holy Spirit speaks on God's behalf. That's how He counsel. You get in godly counsel when He speaks into you. You don't you don't know what to do in your situations in life, start praying and ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. And then whatever He tells you to do, just do it. Don't question it, just do it. Just jump out there. Have this faith that you just jump out there and do it because you know that God's called you to it. In Isaiah 30, 21, it says, and your ear shall hear a word behind you saying this, this is the way you should walk in it. And when you turn to the right, And when you turn to the left, walk in it. In other words, as you're walking through life, the Holy Spirit's counseling you. He's guiding you. He's speaking. Go left, okay? And go right, all right? Because He's speaking on God's authority. Here's the last thing. The Holy Spirit will comfort you. He'll counsel you. Third thing is, God, the Holy Spirit will convict you. John 16, 8 says this, And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. He's going he's to judge the world. He's going to convict. He doesn't convict us to tell us that we've done so wrong and so bad. He convicts us so that we change the behavior to come more like Jesus. He's not looking for us to mess up. It's not like a whack-a-mole game where He's just waiting on us to pop up so that He can smack us right back down. What, he, what He's saying, is, I come to convict you because I want you. This is that spiritual discipline. It's that discipline that God gives that He loves the discipline to push us towards God because we've gotten away. He said, I want to convict you. The word convict, it means to expose in the Greek language, to cross-examine for the purpose of conviction as, as is convicting a lawbreaker in a court of law. There are two parts of the Holy Spirit's work of conviction. Number one, it's a one-time event that we feel conviction that we are so far from God and we need Jesus. And we allow Jesus to save us. That's the first conviction. But the second conviction is an ongoing work that keeps us close to Christ, we get away and He speaks and convicts us right back to where we're supposed to be. The initial convicting work of the Spirit opens your eyes to your spiritual helplessness and the need for a Savior. I mean, think about it. Maybe perhaps you first learned of Jesus from a friend. Maybe it was a sermon. Maybe it was a book. Have you read the Bible? Maybe you grabbed a Gideon's Bible? but it was the Spirit's work that exposed to you your desperate situation that's apart from God. Did you know that we as a church cannot generate salvation? Like, we can put on worship services. We can baptize people. We can have incredible worship. We can have all those things. And we can do all those things without the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? You know what you can't do without the Holy Spirit? You can't have salvation. You can't have salvation without the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit that convicts. We may try. We may try to up our salvations, but can I tell you that only the Holy Spirit can do that. And we have to allow Him to do that. It's not our job to convict people. It's our job to disciple people. The Holy Spirit will do the convicting to get them where they need to be for that. You know, when God calls you, He called us out to sow seeds, spread the gospel. He never called us to go examine the soil first. He just told us to go throw the seeds. He'll take care of the soil. That's all we got to do. So He convicts. He convicts. It was the Spirit who caused you to see that Jesus died. That's how we came to this place. So as we, as we look at the works of the Holy Spirit, He comforts, He counsels, He's a helper. Maybe today you're made aware of who He is. Maybe you're saying, I've, I've been a follower of Jesus for a very long time, but today I realize who He is. I know who He is. I see Him at work in my life. I want to give you a little bit of accountability, please. Because I want us to start operating as individuals, depending on the Spirit. Here's what I want you to do. What one thing in your life this week do you need to re- rely on the Holy Spirit for? What one thing? Write that question down. What one thing do I need to rely on the Holy Spirit for today? Any comfort? Any counsel? You need some conviction? What? Where do you need to depend on the Holy Spirit? I want to pray for us, and I just want to ask that as we go into a time of response, we have people that just want to pray for you. Maybe you feel convicted and you just need, you just need somebody to pray for them. Maybe you just need a hug or you need somebody to just look at you and say, It's going to be okay. We have a team that's going to be over at the tent and they'd love to pray for you. Maybe you're just like, I just want to, maybe you just need to repent. Maybe you're like God's doing something in your life right now and you've been exposed and now you're aware of a spirit, but maybe you're also aware that you've never experienced this Jesus before and you want to pray and just allow Jesus to come into your life and be the Lord and Savior of that, our team would love to pray for you. We would love to do that. Let me pray as we get ready to sing and to close this morning. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would do a work that goes beyond any words of explanation that I have, and that your Holy Spirit would be present. He is present, and we acknowledge him, and we ask him to do the works in our heart that only he can do. So in these next moments, May we just lean in on your Spirit. May we just surrender to your Spirit our lives right now so when we walk out of this place, we will be Spirit-led. Your Word says that we are to walk in cadence and step with your Spirit. And I just pray today that we will more clearly know how to do that. Because we understand that you have sent your Holy Spirit to us as an advantage to come alongside of us. He's been called to walk with us and in us. May we realize the thing that we've had in our hand the whole time, in our lives the whole time. May we be aware of what He wants to do in and through us this morning. And we pray these things in Your name. Amen.